Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, uh, it'll be up here on the screen. We've been moving through Colossians slowly, uh, doing something we've never done at City Chapel before, and that is just taking the book of the Bible and walking through verse by verse for as long as it might take. So far, it's been about four months that we've been in the book of Colossians. And um, so luckily, though, we're coming to an end, we're coming to a close. It's not going to be Christmas in Colossians, unfortunately. Uh, we, we, We threatened that back in July. But uh, apparently, uh, God is bringing it to a close. But um, no, I, I want to continue. We've been at the part of Colossians at the end of chapter three, where Paul deals with the practical application of several of the things that he's been teaching throughout the book. So in case you've missed it, Jesus' life, that's the big deal of Colossians, that Jesus is the source of life, but Jesus is also what life is all about. And so whatever, whatever, whatever existence you have, when Jesus is the cornerstone, then you have life, and you have life more abundantly. So our, our goal, our hope, is that you would receive Jesus, that you would walk in his life, and, and, and what that looks like is found in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 talks about the supremacy of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, how great Jesus really is. And then chapter 2, he deals with what it means to build your life upon him. So he, 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 does, some, he does some boundaries. He builds some boundaries. Like uh, we talked about traps, how God wants to free us from our traps. We can't live on the foundation of Jesus when we're stuck in traps. So you can go back and listen to the podcast over the last four months worth of podcasts. That's like 16, 17 sermons, it's, uh, it, it'll, it'll keep you busy. Um, but uh, then we got into chapter 3, and chapter 3 is really the culminating chapter for, for, for building your life on Christ. And right at the end of chapter 3, he gets really practical with what it's going to look like in your life when you have built your life on Jesus. Um, and especially in the earlier part of chapter 3, when, you're, when, you've, when, when you've died to your old self and you've taken on the new self, the new creation. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but Easter is good, but everyone is supposed to have an Easter. Jesus had an Easter, and that's great, but you also are supposed to have an Easter Sunday. Um, and you don't. And the good news is you don't have to wait till April to have an Easter Sunday. You can be you can be crucified to your old self and raised again to the newness of life in Jesus today. By putting your faith in Jesus, there, this, this, this process begins happening whereby we are resurrected into newness of life. And what's really cool is at the end of chapter 3, he tells us that that's going to have an effect. When we're resurrected with Christ, it's going to affect some things. And first off, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how it's going to affect our marriages. So he, he addresses husbands and wives. And this is, what, this is what the power of the gospel will do. It'll come into your life and it'll first change you. And then it'll change the way you interact in the most intimate relationship. Husbands will begin to agape or love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And wives will begin to submit or to come under the mission, submission, to come under the heavenly mission that God has for their family. So we talked about that. Then we talked about how it's going to spread from a husband and wife into a family. And he says, children, obey your parents in everything. Come on, somebody. That's right. That's right. Children, obey your parents. Children will start to obey their parents. And then he says, parents and fathers especially, don't exasperate your kids. Uh, so, so, so parents will begin to stir up the gifts that are inside their kids, not 
not, not the sin that's inside of them. It means provoke them, push them toward the kingdom of God and not toward the kingdom of Satan. All right, so this is what parents will begin to do as they're living in a resurrected life. And now today, we're going to the sort of further outflowing of this kingdom. It starts in here, it moves to our marriage, into our relationships, and then out into the world. And this is where Paul in chapter three, verse 22 says, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. Now, when he says slaves, I know that's, that, 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 that's a very negative connotation in our day and age. This is written in 65 AD. This is before uh, what we would call of a job uh, description. To be a slave meant you got paid. Um, it meant, meant you had a job. It meant you, you even had upward mobility, which was kind of rare in those days. And so when he says slave, he's not, just, he's not talking about the, the atrocities of the past 400 and 500 years. He's talking about a particular system. Now, it's not the same as a free market, so it is different, but a particular system whereby their, their economy uh, was established on slaves and masters. And so masters would hire slaves and pay them a living wage. And so this is what he's talking about. So this actually has to do for us, we would call this the workplace. He says slaves and masters. What he's talking about, he's talking about employers and employees. And so, and so the further the gospel goes, it starts in your heart, moves to your marriage, moves to your kids, and then it goes out into your community. I don't know if you know this or not, but God wants to bring revival, not just to you, but to your community. God wants to transform South Austin. God wants to transform Buda and San Marcos. God wants to do a work. God wants to bring revival into a city. And the way he does that, it's not by enlisting angels and sending them down there to go preach. The way he does that is he saves people, regular, ordinary people like you and me. And then he asks us to engage with our community. And the number one way that you are probably going to engage with your community is through your workplace. You're going to spend more time with people in your community on the job than you are anywhere else. Um, I know you're here on Sundays uh, at 11 a.m. and that's lovely. But after this, like we all go home. I mean, most of us do anyway. Uh, of course, I sleep here. I stay here all the time. I'm, I'm like your middle school teachers. I just live at the school and you show up. They let me out of the closet and ta-da, here I am. Uh, but no, like most of us go home. We have lives. We have a Monday morning that's going to come early. And this week we're going to be more refreshed because we had more sleep because of the time change. But we're going to go to different jobs all around this city from police officers to, to plumbers to electricians to, 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 to uh, 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 nurses and people who work in the doctor and to the, the medical industry, to therapists. We, we all are going to spread out teachers. We're going to go to different places. And what this scripture is saying is that, that the outflow of the gospel is supposed to, yeah, change us, change our marriage, change our home, and then change our community. The way that we live on Monday is really important to God. In fact, it's a big part of his strategy. And so that's why at the pinnacle, it's so weird to me, that at the very pinnacle of this amazing letter about the supremacy of Christ, Jesus' life, that's what Colossians is all about. And it's, it's all about Jesus. And then at the very peak, Paul says, now let's turn to your job. Let's, this, is, this is not an afterthought. This isn't like, but this is at the very pinnacle of his discussion is how is this affecting your Monday through Friday? It's so powerful so that God is not just concerned with your Sunday. He's concerned about your Monday through Friday. And so he says, slaves or employees, obey your earthly masters or your employers in everything. 
And do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever you do, plumbers, therapists, teachers, whatever you do. I, 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 I love how the gospel, it comes into our life and it redeems us. And it redeems our marriage relationships. And it redeems our parenting and our children. But it also redeems our work. It redeems our everyday life. Whatever you do, he says, now you're going to do it differently. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for humans. Since you know, now this is this one thing that you will know as, as, as employees. You know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you're serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs. And there is no favoritism. Then we move on to chapter 4, verse 1. He says, masters or employers provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Because you know, something that employers ought to know. You know that you also have a master in heaven. And then if we skip down to verse 7, I'd like to skip down to verse 7, and I'll, I'll cover this toward the end of the message. But in his final greetings, this, this is the last chapter of Colossians, and actually he spends a couple of verses um, encouraging them to devote themselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Uh, there's a few verses there, but then he gets to verse 7 where he has uh, what's called, entitled the final greetings. And this is where he's just, he's, he's signing off his letter, and he's talking to some different people. And uh, the first person he addresses is Tychicus. Tychicus, he says, will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Those three things. A dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. In other words, Tychicus is the guy who's delivering the letter from Paul. Paul is sending not just a letter, but he's sending a person who's going to be able to sit and talk with the church in Colosh. So he wants this letter to be read in the church, but also to have a human to sit down and, and meet with, to have a newcomer's meal with, and get to know him. Because he wants you to know everything that God's doing in Paul's ministry. So he's sending Tychicus. And by the way, Tychicus, from church history, seems that he was not a singer. Like he wasn't the lead worship, Paul's worship leader, you know. Uh, he wasn't a piano player. Sounds like he wasn't a youth pastor and he wasn't a theologian. He had no like Bible training. Tychicus was like from church tradition seemed to be more of an admin guy. Like, like Paul has this call of God on his life and he's writing and he's praying and he's writing and he's praying. And, but he doesn't know how to handle the books very well. And so Tychicus comes along and says, well, let me serve you because I'm good with math, I'm good with numbers, and I'm good with organizing things. And so Tychicus is the admin guy. It's so interesting to me that in the kingdom of God, sometimes we, we elevate people that are on stages. And we think, oh yeah, preaching, that's awesome. Singing, that's awesome. Writing Christian books is awesome. But no, actually, Paul says, this letter wouldn't even have got to you if it wasn't for my admin guy. It's amazing to me that God, the kingdom of God needs, yeah, preachers, but also some admin people, also some people that handle the details. Tychicus brings the letter that was written to the church, and he's the representative to share with these people the details about what God was doing, which is why we know he was an admin guy and not a worship leader. Because the worship folks would have just, just been, oh, it's awesome, it's great, bye. 
You know, they would have forgotten all the details. But this dude's going to tell you everything because he's been keeping track, you know. He's a detail guy. And so he's going to share with them everything that God's been doing. And then he says he's also coming with Onesimus. You know, that name may sound familiar. Most believe it is the same Onesimus that we find in the book of Philemon. Uh, because Philemon and Onesimus went to the church in Colossians. They were a part of the Colossian church. In fact, it's very likely that, that Philemon would have been the guy reading the letter because he was a leader in the church of Colossians. So that's just fascinating to me that as Philemon is reading, he, Philemon stands up and reads, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. We'll get into that here in a minute. But Onesimus himself was a slave. And Paul says he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Notice he doesn't call him a servant. Who is, he says, one of you? They will tell you everything that is happening here. So I want to go back to verse 22 in chapter 3 where he says, Slaves or employees, obey your earthly employers, your masters and everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for God. Reverence for God. What he's saying is that your reverence for God will be seen in your Monday through Friday job. Most people think that they're showing reverence for God when they come to church on Sunday. And uh, technically, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that when you come to church, you are encouraging one another. That's the purpose of church, is to encourage one another. Some people say, oh, the purpose of church is to worship God, you know, on Sunday morning. No, that's the purpose of life, to worship God. But the purpose of church is Sunday morning. Biblically, Paul says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, uh, but do so so much more and encourage one another as you see the day approaching. We are to sing songs and hymns and hymns are songs that we sing about us to encourage each other, each other to remind us who we are. And so the purpose of church is to encourage the body and to encourage, encourage each other. But, but Paul says, actually, your reverence for God won't be seen in your church attendance. It'll be seen on Monday morning, whether you show up for work on time. Well, see, see, see that face, that's the face that you're supposed to give me when I talk about my long announcements. Hey, what's he, that that doesn't apply. What do you think? Well, of course, of course, I'm always to work on time. Uh, Yeah, no, you're, you're the, 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 the level, he says, look, your reverence for God will be seen on Monday through Friday. Your sincerity of heart will be seen, not on church on Sunday. Because everybody can dress up and stand when they're supposed to stand and sit when they're supposed to sit and sing when they're supposed to sing. Or at least, heck, you don't even have to sing. Just stand there and look at the lyrics. You're you're like, you're good. And everybody's good. But man, the sincerity, meaning the integrity, meaning the reality of your actual position of your heart with God will be seen Monday through Friday. And so I think this is such a great message because many times when I'm counseling people, one of the things they tell me is, Man, I, I struggle because I can, act like a church, I can act like a Christian when I'm in church, but then when I'm not at church, when I'm around my fellow employees, when I'm at work, I start acting like people at work. And the, the really good news for you is that, that 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 is what Scripture says will happen. You will figure out whether or not your, your faith is sincere, not on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. And now, 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 if you're here and you're like, man, okay, I just figured out my faith is not sincere. That's not, that's, that's not good news, but it's really good that you realize that now. So, hey, let's be honest. If your faith is not sincere, then let's make it sincere. 
So, so you know, they, so, well, I, I just need to quit my job then tomorrow. I need to quit, right? No. Don't escape from the very place that's helping reveal the insincerity of your heart. Don't, 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 don't run away from it. My goodness, this is, this is the grace of God. He's revealing to you before the judgment seat that you're not ready for the judgment seat. So he's doing that because he believes you can be ready. He's doing that because he believes that he can transform you. And so what, what happens is we step into the workplace and oftentimes we act like the people that we are around and we, it's, which is very different than when we act the way in church. But man, Jesus, what is that Facebook meme? Jesus didn't die for actors. He didn't die to raise up actors, you know? So it's not about acting like a Christian. It's about whoever be in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new actor. Oh, no, wait, hold on a second. He, that's, that's a Freudian slip. He is a new creation, an entirely new person. And that new person, when that new person steps into a marriage, that new person acts differently. When that new person is a parent or a child, that new person acts differently. When that new person is an employee or an employer, that new person's faith will be exposed. And sometimes we don't like what we see when it's exposed. But man, it's a, it's a good thing. It's the grace of God that he's allowing this thing to be exposed. He's allowing your insin- the insincerity of your heart to come to the top so that he can deal with it. So that we can become more and more like Christ. So it's a good thing. In other words, your, your job is not just a job. What you do Monday through Friday is not just a paycheck. It is, and this, and this is my first point. All right, this is my first point. It's not a position, it is an appointment. That God has appointed you to a position. Now, now a human boss may have given you a position, and you may, re- hopefully, you receive a paycheck. But it's not about the paycheck, and it's not about the position that humans give you. It's about the appointment that God has placed you in. What if, just throwing this out there, what if God is sovereign? What if he knows everything? And what if he has aligned your life in such a way that he has intentionally placed you in the job that you're in? What if what you called luck and chance and happenstance was actually the movement and the working of God to position you in the place where he wanted you? Now, now, personally, this is a bit difficult because uh, for me, I'm preaching about the workplace and yet my workplace is literally here. So when I say I come to work, I do mean I come here and I hang out with other pastors. And so I've been trying to get Peter and Eddie saved for the past little while. And honestly, it's not going so well. They're, they're resisting. They're resisting. But uh, no, no, but, but the, the role of, so even, even in that place, okay, like everybody's a Christian. Does that mean we don't need the presence of God? Does that mean we don't need encouragement? Does that mean we don't need challenge? Does that mean we don't need conviction? No, we do. And so God has placed me, lucky them, in their lives to help communicate what God is saying to them. And sometimes it's really encouraging and sometimes it's challenging and sometimes it's prayer. And so we gather here actually before staff meeting, we pray for each other and we share what's going on in our lives. So I'm saying no matter what your job is, God can use you to bring life into that place. And some of you, your job maybe doesn't pay very well. Maybe you're like my wife, who is a stay-at-home mom, which is a full-time job. I don't pay her very well. But it's still a full-time job. And she also homeschools our kids, which is another full-time job. And our kids don't have much money. They don't pay her very well either. 
A um, lot, lot of hugs and kisses, but that, that doesn't go very far with the electric company, you know what I'm saying? So she doesn't, she doesn't get paid for that. But those are still two full-time jobs. We have stay-at-home moms here and homeschool moms who, for you, it's still a full-time job. Well, guess what? What you do Monday through Friday matters. If you're in the workplace, that matters. If you're at home, that matters. Because the way that God changes a community is he, he sends Christians into that community and he asks Christians to engage with that community. So even our homeschool moms get together with other homeschool moms. Why? Because we want to engage with the community. And even our homeschool kids uh, sign up for soccer and Little League. Why? Because we want to engage with the community. And so we are on mission. It's not just a position. It's not just a paycheck. It's an appointment. God been in this position. Um, Now, I have been most of my life. I was 12 years old when God called me to preach. That's before I had a job. So from my very first job, I said, well, I want to be doing what God's called me to do. So I know not everybody's like that. Um, Some of you guys, you know, weren't weren't thinking about what you're going to do with the rest of your life when you're 12. And I, and I, and I get that because you're not all weird like me. Uh, but we, some, me and my daughter, we, 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 we think like this. And so God began calling me. But man, there was a time actually when God closed the doors for all ministry. And it's not like uh, people weren't calling. It's just he wouldn't give me peace to, to, to accept any of the invitations to go be a pastor at these different churches. Instead, he called me and Ro in our first year of marriage, a bit bigger, but it was about the same size. And it's like, they, sorry, we can't pay you anything, but we'd like for you to volunteer. Well, that's in the lovely, but it doesn't pay the bills. And Ro didn't have her green card yet, so she couldn't legally get a job. So I had to go out and be the breadwinner. I had to win a lot of bread. And um, it turns out that's a bit difficult. Uh, I'm always just used to being paid to do ministry and going from one city or one job or whatever. But here in this place, God called me to be here, and yet I, 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 didn't, know, I didn't know how to make money. And so there was a lady in the church who was a publicist. She ran her own publicist company, um, and she hired me on. Um, she, uh, a, a publicist, basically a publicist's job is to make bands famous. So um, if you are a band in Nashville, which is like everybody in Nashville is a part of a band, it's like actors in, in, in L.A., you know, they're all actors and actresses. But uh, like in, in Nashville, they're all in a band, and, and if you're lucky enough to ha- actually have a contract with a record label, then you get a publicist. This publicist works around the clock trying to make you famous. And so I got hired on in the Christian music industry um, to be uh, part of this public. It was just the lady, me, and this other girl that worked in the office. So it was just three of us. And we were in charge of this one Christian band. And uh, they, uh, it, was my, it was my job to make them famous. That was my task. And I, I, I thought it was really actually pretty interesting. It was actually fun because I'm a bit of a sociologist. I like to see the science behind it all. It's really... it's. it's it, it's fun, but it's also, you know, that's about the time I stopped listening to, listening to Christian music. Um, <laughs> because you also see the underbelly of it, you know, and you're like, yeah, it's not so great. Uh, but I'm sure that's probably true with every industry. There's a, the closer you get to it, the more you see some stuff. And it's like, yeah. Um, but uh, in the Christian music industry, it did help explain some things. Because I was wondering, I always wondered why, like, like, like modern Christian music sounded so much like modern country music. Have you noticed that? Like, if you, like, take out all references to alcohol and nakedness, you essentially have the same song. You just, like, it could play on either radio station, and people would be like, oh, yeah, this sounds pretty good. And, well, well, I figured out it's because the same people own both labels. Sony has a Christian division and a country division, but they're 
but, but the, the board of members that sits around and decides what, which ones they're going to publish, it's the same people. So they're like, yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah, I like that. And it sounds very similar. So it's, it, I suddenly started to realize some things. Um, but anyway, we, we, I, was, I was helping this band, these young guys, like 21, 22, and, and they were actually pretty, pr- pretty awesome guys. They weren't really that good of musicians, though. Uh, like the one, the one, the piano player couldn't even play the intro to their most famous song. Um, so I'm like, how did you guys write this? I'm like, well, this guy in the studio came up with it. We hired him and he played it. And so every time they played in public, like they had somebody in the back that would hit play and the guy behind the piano would pretend to play his little deal. And then the whole band would kick in and, and they had stuff like that for the singer too. Like he couldn't hit some of the high notes on the bridge. And so they had it, they had it piped in. They'd hit play at just the right time. And uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. I was like, all righty. Well, uh, it's uh, interesting. And anyway, it, so it was my job to help make these guys famous, and 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 I was it was a, it was a high uh, stress environment. It was very much oriental oriented toward results, and so we had to get climb up the charts. And it was interesting to see how to do that. So like if you can get a band. For those of you that are wondering, if you can get a band to lead worship for Rick Warren's church, Rick Warren had, had at that time, I don't know now, but they had like eight buildings on his campus and they all had church at different times. And so we got these guys to be the worship leaders for like each of those campuses, like boom, 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 back to back to back. And then all these Christians go home and they hear their song on the radio. They're like, yeah, I really like that. And they request the DJs to play it more. And that's how songs go. So you get them on morning shows, you get them on Christian radios, you get them to do giveaways and all this kind of stuff. And so it was interesting to me um, but it was also frustrating. You know, I don't know if you've ever, ever been in a job that's fascinating and frustrating. This is kind of, kind of both of those. It's like, oh, this is interesting, but I don't care. Like, I, I, I don't even have that much respect for this industry, actually. I don't really want to make these guys famous. I don't know, like, what I was called to preach. I was called to be a pastor. I was called. And, 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 and that's where, man, God really began to show me that during my time at that, at that business, that, that, okay, fine, you are called to be a pastor, so start pastoring. Because if you're called to be a pastor, you'll pastor like here on a stage. You'll pastor in your living room with just you and your family. You'll pastor at Walmart. Like if you're really called, you will do what you're called to do in a line, grocery line at Walmart. Wherever you are, like you will be doing what you're called to do. So God's like, just do it. And there was, there was this girl that worked there. Her name is Sarah. She sat across the way from me and she was going through some stuff. And so every day for lunch, I just wheel my little chair over to her desk and she'd tell me everything she's going through and tears and stuff. And I would, I would point her to Jesus and I would bring out the word of God. And I would say, this is what God says about you and about your situation, about what's going on. And we began and Ro would come in and she would, she would meet with Sarah. Sarah came out and hung out with us and we began pastoring. We had a church of one. We had one member in our church and she wasn't even tithing. We had one member. <laughs> But that's sometimes, what if, what if, what if your, your position is actually an appointment? What if God wants you to have a church of one? What if he's called you? See, see, there's a difference between like being on a platform and having a platform. So I am currently on a platform. It's two feet. I'm two feet elevated above you all. <laughs> I am higher. Uh, but I am on a platform, but you all have a platform. The church is not this room. It's not this building. The church is you. And so on Monday morning, the church infiltrates South Austin and Buda and Kyle. And my question is, what is the church doing? Is the church bringing life into those places? 
Is the church bringing encouragement to people who need encouragement? Is the church being the hands and feet of Jesus? Or is it something we reserve for homeless outreach ministry day? It can't be a program. It can't be a pre-scheduled, we need five people to go feed X amount of people. It's God. God has positioned you where you are in a building with people who will never darken these doors, who will never step in here. And yet when they meet you, they ought to see Jesus. They ought to see him. And, 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 and that's not to put condemnation on you. I'm, I'm telling you that what, what, what you're missing out on when, when you look just like everybody else at your job, when you are not reverent to the Lord on Monday through Friday, you're missing out on the opportunity to see transformation happen in your city. And the very revival that we're praying for, seeking God for, giving financially for, working toward, that revival, it's not going to happen in this room. By the time the newspapers catch the revivals historically, the revival has already been happening in the hearts of individuals long before it shows up in a church. Because we are the church, and so it starts happening. Like, okay, we all need to post scriptures on our Facebook wall on Monday morning. We need to bombard everybody with scripture. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as we, as we like, you don't have to be weird. Now, if you want to post scriptures, by all means, post scriptures. But you don't have to be odd. You don't have to be the, the weird Christian. You can just, according to scripture, do your job. Bill Belichick, do your job. And as you do it really well, people stand back and they say, wow, that guy is working around the clock almost as if he doesn't, he's not doing it for this boss, he's doing it for somebody else. Martin Luther was asked one time, he said, how do shoemakers glorify God? How do shoemakers glorify God? Because it's easy to see how pastors and ministers and evangelists, how do shoemakers glorify God? And Martin Luther said, well, they don't do it by sewing little crosses into their shoes. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. You don't have to be weird. You don't have to like wear Christian t-shirts all the time. Now we have city chapel shirts, but if you notice, they don't say Jesus on them. If you notice, they don't say Satan sucks on them. <laughs> I've seen a t-shirt like that, which is why I'm throwing that out there. But it's, not like, but it's not like weird. It says people, not every church is like the one you grew up in, you know? I mean, it's just true. There's some good churches out there. There's some good places that love people, love God, and it's awesome. So uh, you don't have to be weird. But it, instead, like, like sometimes I think we substitute, <laughs> we, we, we disregard scripture, and instead we do the easy thing, which is wear the Christian t-shirt. Wear the Christian t-shirt, show up late, do the bare minimum, sow gossip, sow discord, be in around the cooler talking about other people. All that, that's all the hard stuff. We don't want to do that. We'll just wear the t-shirt. It's easier to wear a t-shirt. But what changes a community is when people go, wait a minute, you're not participating in the office gossip. You actually show up to work on time even when the boss is not here. You actually, something's different about you. Why are you doing all this? Jesus said, the goal is that you would, you would do good works, absolutely, but the goal of that is that people would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Because they would say, wow, these shoes are really awesome. You know, the shoemaker, uh, he says, no, the way that a shoemaker glorifies God, he makes the absolute best shoes that he can possibly make. They're so good that they bring glory to the one who created him to make shoes. Which is why Nike is like Jesus' favorite company, you know, it's just awesome. I'm just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. 
the value, the value of what you produce shows the value of who created you. And sometimes we devalue God when we produce really sloppy results. We, we act as if it doesn't matter. We act as if it doesn't count for anything. But it does. This is how God changes the community. So it's not only that, that you have a job, you have an appointment. My second point, which also happens to start with the same letters, is that you don't have an obstacle, you have an opportunity. I saw my job with, 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 the, with the, the publicist company as an obstacle. It was stopping me from ministry. It was stopping me from doing what I felt called to do. I didn't see the opportunity that was in front of me until a few weeks in. And I finally realized, wait a minute, there's this person right here who needs me. I'm going to be here for her. And I'm going to pray for her and I'm going to pastor her. But it's, it's, your job is not an obstacle. Even if you're like me and you're called to the ministry someday, your current job is not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to, to not only to bring the goodness of God into Austin, but to bring the goodness of God into you. This is what's interesting, is God will use you in your job, but God will use your job in you. And so what happens when, when we escape uh, this, when we, when, when, when we, when we turn off uh, our, 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 our reverence for the Lord or our fear for the Lord when we enter work, we, we, we stop the flow that God wants to bring to the office or the or the, the job site, or wherever we are, we stop, but we also hinder what God's trying to do inside of us. There is some stuff that God cannot teach you through a sermon. <gasps> it's true. The pastor is letting the cat out of the bag. There's some stuff, like, because like, I, can, I can say it over and over and over. I have, actually. And, and sometimes people, like, you just, it's not going, you're not going to get it. There's some stuff I can preach on. There's some Christian books that can be written. There are some songs that can be sung. Uh, preaching and singing can only go so far. But there are other things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life that will not happen on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. It just won't. Now, now I'm saying still come Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Because God wants to do something. But there's some stuff. <laughs> there's some stuff that he can't do here. Because, well, I'm too nice. Believe it or not. This is true. Okay, so, 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 so take, for instance, my job. The, the reason that Roe really didn't like that is because the lady there, she was pretty rough, the, 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 the head of it. She was, she was a bit of a slave master. Um, she had devoted her entire life to it. I mean, I literally think she slept there some nights. I mean, for real. Uh, it was her life. Um, through everything, hell and high water, she was going to do that job. And she kind of expected us to do that. And I told her, I will be here from 9 to 5. And at 501, I mean, I'll, I'll work really hard and I'll be here right at nine, but then I'll leave right at five. Like this is my boundaries. And so it's good to have boundaries at work. But I was, I was under a lady who was pretty, you know, pretty rough. And several of you are probably under some bosses who are not, you know, the, the picture of Jesus, I would imagine. Um, and, 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 and what's tricky though is in our generation, it's like we, we love to judge authority far more than we like to submit to authority. So if we see that our boss is not like worthy of our respect, then we write them off of being worthy of our honor. And those two things are different. But, but so often, this is what's weird about God. He will use people who are not worthy of respect to, to teach you and to grow you 
not to grow your respect for humans, because that's not happening with this individual, but to grow something he's been trying to do inside of you. Take, for instance, there's a guy named David. Um, you might have heard of him. He killed a giant in the Old Testament with a slingshot and a stone. Um, that's the least of the things that he was actually called to do. That's on the smaller scale, and that was pretty darn huge. Uh, but David was called, appointed by God to be king of Israel. Not just king, but king in terms of a prototype of what the final king of Israel would be. In fact, David was a man, God said, after his own heart. Called, God called him the apple of his eye, meaning he's so precious, I'm going to guard it like that. And so David was, after God's heart, he's in the, the fields worshiping. David was a worshiper. David was a warrior. He wasn't afraid. He trusted God. He, 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 was, he was a leader of people. He actually cared for people. He loved people. He saw them as sheep, as his pastor. He was a great leader. He, and, and he was prophetic of what was to come. God proclaimed to David, he said, your throne will last forever. Nobody's throne is forever except God's throne, Jesus. And so what God was saying was that your, from your family lineage will come the Messiah. And David said of God, your promises to me are better than life. Meaning the life I got as great as it is now, what you have promised is even greater. And so David is significant prophetically. David is significant also in the moment because um, David is the second king of Israel. The first king was a loser. And the second king, God, I mean, you know it's bad when God fires you. You know what I'm saying? Like, God's really long-suffering. He's put up with, like, Hitler and Stalin for a while. Quite a long while. He's put up with a lot of losers. And he comes into Saul, and he's like, uh, no, no, you're done. Uh, we are clearly, this experiment is over, and you're fired. And so God puts up with a lot, and he fires Saul. And he's, God tells Saul, I have chosen someone. I have picked, hand-picked by God. That's David. David was anointed by Samuel. Literal oil running down his head. But that was, that, was, that was symbolizing the Holy Spirit that was over his life. This is amazing. Before the Holy Spirit was even sent into the earth, David had communion with God that most of us don't have. He is the one who erected the tabernacle of praise in Jerusalem. I could go on and on about David. David was a big dude. Big deal. And here he is, this young teenager, impressionable teenager, and God says, I need to train this guy up. I need to prepare him for the throne. I need to get him ready. So who is, who is his mentor? Who does God choose? I would have chose Samuel, one of the greatest prophets of all time. The guy who poured the oil over his head, you know, really believed in him. You want somebody who believes in you, don't you? <laughs> Supportive. Great HR department in Samuel. You got it. The school of prophets, all these, all these guys that love God, Jehovah, all the, No, God bypasses everybody in Jerusalem and he chooses as David's mentor, Saul, the loser king. That God didn't even think was good enough to be king. That's his mentor. And not only is that his boss, not only is that his mentor, but God sends David to live in the palace with him. We're not talking about like he's going to a board meeting once a week. No, he's, like, like, how about you just move in with the psychopath? Let's do that. Saul was a bad king. He was selfish. He always put himself above other people. He didn't trust Jehovah. He wasn't leaning on him. And he was full of fear. He was incredibly in, in, insecure and jealous of everybody around him. And to top it all off, he had a demon that was attacking him. <laughs> I don't know what kind of boss you got. 
but I, some of you are like, no, you haven't met my boss. That's my, you know, like, like a demon? Is your boss really dealing with a demon? I don't know. Maybe she is. I don't know. I know. <laughs> hey, that was a totally non-sexist comment. Your boss may be a she. Absolutely. Particularly when dealing with this particular issue. And so Saul, Saul is a man and he's got a demon and it's tough. And David is working under a guy with a demon. It's crazy. Saul is, Saul's, Saul's psycho. He's, he's going nuts. He's not making sense. He's, he's just bizarre. He's crazy. He's, he's erratic. One time they're in a staff meeting and Saul grabs a, a staff, grabs a spear and chucks it at David attempting to kill him. I, mean, I don't know if your boss has ever pulled, you know, <laughs> pulled a gun on you and taken a couple shots. But this, I'm out. No, he doesn't. David says, wait a minute. This person, I don't have respect for this person because this person is literally crazy. But I do honor this person because I recognize that God has put this person in my life. Therefore, I trust God. I don't trust that guy. I don't trust that guy. <laughs> I don't know what he's going to say about me. I don't know what he's going to do to me. And, I, and I'm definitely watching my back. I don't trust that guy, but I trust the God who put that guy over me. And I know that everything that God allows to come into my life will be for my benefit and for his glory. And David went back to work the next day. With the spear still stuck in the wall where his boss missed him. And he went back to work the next day. In fact, I imagine when other people are running from Saul, you know, when the demon is like making him crazy. And people are like, all right, just everybody go to your quarters. Like Saul's a little woo. Like, let's just give him a chance to cool off. Uh, somebody take his phone. Take his phone. Take, take his phone. And, you know, he's just, he's, he's out there. He's out of control. David actually didn't run away from Saul in his darkest times. David ran to Saul. Scripture says that David would be the only one. He would go to Saul when Saul was going crazy and he'd bring a harp and he'd start worshiping. I wonder what would happen if the church not only saw their work as worship, but brought worship into their work. I wonder what kind, because I'll tell you what happened with David. When David started worshiping, the demon had to go. So many times the, the awful situations that we are working, the environments we're working in are exactly so awful because we do not bring the glory of God into that place. It is not too awful to rebuke the glory of God. Rather, when the glory of God comes in us and you say, well, well you know, how do I worship at work? Well, first of all, you show up on time. This scripture right here, you, you, you honor God by saying, I'm going, to, I'm going to do everything that I can do to honor God in this place. And secondly, you keep your eyes focused on God while you're in that place. So to worship at work doesn't mean you bring a Casio with you <laughs> to the job site. <laughs> the Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come on, guys, sing along. Uh, no, it's, that's not how it works. I mean, you can actually listen to some Christian music at your cubicle. Absolutely. Uh, but, but to worship at work means to elevate God above people. Because this is what he says. He says, the sincerity of your heart and your fear for the Lord. What is fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord means to fear God. And the beautiful, the beautiful thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you don't fear anything else. 
When you fear God, you don't fear anything else. So when I say fear, uh, do I mean be afraid of? Well, kind of. I mean to recognize that he actually could impact my future far more than anything else. So if I'm out on my 14 acres walking around and I start and, and I hear a rattle, a little rattle, uh, I'm going to fear at that moment. Uh, I know somebody quoted the verse about we shall tread on serpents and that was, that's a good verse. That's a really good verse. Uh, but you got to look at the Greek. I don't know. I, 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 I will start to fear because at the other end of that rattle are some very sharp fangs and some venom which could negatively impact my life. <laughs> now, if I'm walking along and I see an ant hill, an ant pile, red ants, I'm not going to fear. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go sit on it. It's practical preaching for you all. If you see an ant hill, don't, don't, don't be stupid. But I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fear. I'm just going to walk around it. Why? Because ants can't negatively impact my life. They can, they can be an annoyance, but they're not going to. But a snake will negatively impact. I'll, I'll be in the hospital at least, at best. I'll be in the hospital for a while. And that'll incur some debt, which will negatively impact my life. So I'm concerned. I'm fearful. To fear something means I recognize the power that thing has in my life. I recognize what that could do to me. And so I fear it. This is why Paul says, how you treat your bosses and how you treat each other at work tells us who you fear. It tells us who you think can, can impact your life. It tells us who you think is responsible for putting food on your table. Tells us who you believe your provider to be. If it is your boss, if you're, if 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 him liking you, if that's or, or her, if if that's the if that's the deal, then you will do everything you can to make that person like you, because you believe they have significant power over your life. But David stood in front of a boss who not only didn't like him, was very jealous of him, and he said, "No, I can keep coming back to work because you don't have significant power over my life." There is a God above you. There is a God who has placed you in that place. And as soon as God doesn't want you in that place, God will remove you from that place. And my trust and my faith is in the one who placed you, who put you there. Because the same one that put you there put me here. And he has my best interest at heart and I trust him. And he significantly can impact my future, both for the positive and the negative. If he decides to close up the windows of heaven, I'm in trouble. If he decides to curse me, I'm in trouble. But his word says he has decided to bless me. And there's nothing that any devil in hell or human boss can do to stop the blessings of God when he has decided to do that. So I fear God rather than fear man. And Paul then moves on. He's talking to masters now. Employers, CEOs, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Why? Because if not, they'll quit? No. Because someone is watching you. <laughs> because there is a God above you. Because you know that you also have a boss in heaven. Which, 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 which leads into this idea of uh, Onesimus. Paul mentions Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave. He was a servant of Philemon who was accused of stealing from Philemon. And so he ran off. He was a runaway slave and he had, he had run off. Whether he actually stole from Philemon or not, I, I don't know there's much clarity on that, but we know that that was the word on the street, and he was on the run. And then, and then he met, somehow met Paul, somehow 
heard the teachings of Paul, met Paul, came to know Jesus, came to put his faith in Jesus. And then Paul said, hey, you know what you have to do now? You have to go back. Oh, no, Paul, I'm having a, I'm having a great prayer meeting. Uh, we're having a really good time singing. And yeah, no, that's great. But Monday's coming. You have to go back. But church is great. I can really follow Jesus here. No, no, but you have to go back. But you know what I'm saying? I was falsely accused. It wasn't my fault. But you have to go back. And, and Paul writes a letter to Philemon, known as the letter to Philemon. It's in your Bible. And it's specifically about this idea of reconciliation. Not, not revenge, but reconciliation. Paul encourages Philemon to remember right here, hey, you have a boss. And if your boss never showed you mercy, where would you be? If your boss never, never saw the benefit in you, never saw the good in you, only saw the bad, where would you be? If God held you accountable for every, everything. No, instead God has reconciled himself. He has sought to reconcile himself. So that's what we ought to do. It's not that we need to be bad bosses. It's not that we can't have consequences. But, but we have Onesimus here, four years after the letter to Philemon. This is about four years later. And Paul doesn't call him a servant like he calls Tychicus. He calls him your dear brother. It's interesting. Philemon's probably reading the letter about Onesimus, our dear brother. How can you be a brother if you have the same father? truth is this world puts labels on us and tries to put people who have money and people who don't have money and pit them against each other. And true equality is not going to come by those who don't have rising up and saying, hey, we need to be recognized. It's not where equality comes from. True equality comes from those who do have and those who don't have recognize that whatever they have is a gift from the one above. And that if we have the same father, then we are obviously brothers. The logical conclusion is brotherhood. And Paul says, hey, we have the same father. We have the same boss. We're all working for the same boss. And it's our father in heaven. Which he ties in with that uh, when he says, knowing that you have an inheritance. That's a, that's a son word. He doesn't say you have a payday from the Lord. He says you have an inheritance. Because in this world, it's true. Based on your performance, you'll get paid more or less. But in the kingdom of God, the payment has already been made. It's an inheritance, which is laid up for us. Which is why at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. We come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, but because of the goodness of God, we stand completely on the same ground, in need of the same grace, but also with access to the same benefits of the blood of Jesus. Would you pray with me? And let's have the band come forward. We're going to sing one final song, but I want to offer to you, a response to the word of God. Perhaps you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus or you have and that was a long time ago. I want to offer, I want to offer that to you. That the same God who redeemed Onesimus, who redeemed Paul, who redeemed all of us, redeemed me, can also redeem you when you put your faith in him. What does it mean to put your faith in him? Well, it means to call on the name of the Lord to say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you. I believe that you died for my sins and that you stand ready to forgive me of all of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name.